We turn this evening again to John chapter 10. This will be our, not our final message because there is yet one message to come in this passage, but that's going to be a few months down the road. But for tonight, uh, it brings to an end uh, our series over the past month from John chapter 10. We'll read it again, starting at verse 1, reading then through verse 18. Hopefully as we read through the various verses, the various points we have made about the Good Shepherd will uh, leap out at you from the passage. Let's hear God's breathed out word. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This, char this charge... I have received from my Father. As far as the reading of God's word, let's again bow in prayer. Our Holy Father, we come to thee thankful that we may enter thy house once again and worship and praise your holy name. And as we open your word, Lord, we see this portion again and we hear about the shepherd. And we pray, Lord, that we can hear thy voice calling our name. We pray, Lord, for Pastor Bob as he discusses describes this portion of your word to us and explains it, that we may once again apply this to our lives. Pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And amen. Well, first of all, before I get in the message tonight, uh, several of you asked me a question after this morning. Sermon. I had begun that sermon with asking a question. And the question was, where was Jesus from the time of his death upon the cross to his resurrection? 
question that many of you ask, or in not perhaps directly that way, but in one shape or form or another, was this. Was he not in hell? And the answer is no. He was not in hell. And so the, the question that comes back is this. Yes, but wait, wait a minute. In the Apostles' Creed, we confess the following. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. That is correct. That is what we state. The problem is, that's not the, chrono that's not the chronological order. The creed is giving to us the experiential order. In other words, it is pointing out to us the humiliation of Christ. Christ leaves the Father's presence. He leaves glory. Along the way, there are these steps of humiliation. The first step, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Second step, born. Third step, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Fourth step, crucified. Fifth step, dead. Sixth step, in terms of his humiliation, is that he is buried. The last step, in terms of his humiliation, is that he descended into hell. If we were to put it in the chronological order that they happen, not in terms of the degree of humiliation, for we would agree, I would hope, that to suffer hell is the greatest humiliation that one will ever deal with. Dying is nothing compared to hell. Being buried is nothing compared to hell. So hell is the worst thing. Now think about this for the holy Christ. The worst humiliation he could suffer is the rejection of the Father. But if we were to put it in chronological order, it would be as follows. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, descended into hell, was dead, and was buried. That would be the chronological order. So that raises the question in many of your minds. So he didn't literally go to the place of fire and torment. And the answer to that is correct. And nowhere does the Bible state that. You've got to remember the Apostles' Creed is the word of men formulating from Scripture that which we believe. It is not Scripture. Scripture says, today you will be with me in paradise. Scripture never says that after the death and burial of Jesus, Jesus went to hell for three days, fighting back and forth with the devil. In fact, the Heidelberg Catechism explains the phrase, he descended into hell, with these words. Why does the creed add, he descended into hell? To assure me in times of personal crisis and temptation that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of the soul, especially on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. In other words, the creed is saying he experienced that descent into hell on the cross. 
not in his death, but in his life, as he hung upon the cross in the midst of that darkness and cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? To be forsaken by God is hell. That is what Christ experienced on the cross. So he never goes to the place. That's why when I ask the question, okay, where was he? In my way of thinking, okay, it never dawned on me to say or to include the idea of hell. It perhaps should have. It will next time in that regard. But good question, good listening. Now, let's get into our passage for tonight. Let's go back to John chapter 10. We've had all these messages about the good shepherd. The shepherd who calls, the shepherd who leads, the shepherd who guards, the shepherd who, who defends, the shepherd who lays down his life, the shepherd, as we had this morning, who takes up his life. Why? Why does Jesus do all that? Why does Jesus give to us the illustration of the fact that he is the good shepherd? Why does Jesus take on that responsibility? Why does Jesus identify himself with the good shepherd. What's the end game of this? What's the, what's the product? What's the purpose? Why do this? The text that we're going to look at tonight tells us why. It's verse 10. Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they, they, that is my sheep, my flock, that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the reason he is the good shepherd, so that the sheep can have life and can have an abundant life. So what does it mean for a sheep, okay, the animal now, to have abundant life? Right? You're a sheep out there in the in a flock in a hillside somewhere. Out there in, in the middle of Judea. How, how does a sheep define abundant life? What is abundant life for the animal, the sheep? Well, for like most animals, it would probably be defined this way. Contentment. It is content. It's okay with its situation. All right. Master put some food out in front of me. I get a lay down at his feet. I get drinks now and then. A pretty good life. Don't have to watch out for wolves or lions, bears. Shepherd takes care of all of that. I don't even have to figure out where I'm going in life. He always leads me. He guides me. He directs me. I am content. Or if you want to see it in Scripture from the perspective of the sheep, 
Keep your finger here at John 10 and go with me to Psalm 23. David, in Psalm 23, as the shepherd is reflecting upon this, he's looking at what he does as the shepherd and is reflecting upon what the Lord then does for him. But the first perspective is what he does for the sheep. What does David do? Okay, so, so read it back through the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If I'm not wanting, I'm content. If I have no want, then I am content. David's looking at his flock, going, my sheep are contented sheep. I'm contented because the Lord is my shepherd. My sheep are, content, are contented because I'm their shepherd. They're not raising a ruckus. They're content. Why are they content? Because they have no want. Why do they have no want? Because he makes me lie down in green pastures as a sheep. Isn't that what you want in life? Right? If you're a sheep, what a great thing to do. I get to lie down in green pastures. I don't have to lie down on rocks. I don't have to lie down on stones. I get to lie down on green pastures because that's where my shepherd takes me to. He takes me to green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. My shepherd is such a great guy. My shepherd doesn't make me come to a riverbank that's overflowing, that's raging, that one misstep somehow or another, I might be swept away in the torrent. I get to come to a nice, calm pond, pool, slow-moving river, quiet waters. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He don't lead me where I shouldn't go. He always leads me where I to go and even though I as a sheep may walk through the valley of the shadow of death I'm not going to fear any evil why because you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me and not only that not only that you bring me to your own table And I will dwell forever in the house of the Lord. See, David, in writing this about the Lord and, and the Lord's blessing upon his own life and how he sees the Lord as his own shepherd, is looking at that flock of contented sheep. But there's another reason, isn't there? What does it mean for a sheep to have an abundant life? Not only in terms of its contentment, I shall have no want, but also in terms of production. Wool. See, not being raised for meat, but being raised for the wool. 
A contented sheep, a sheep that lives the abundant life, is a sheep that is producing an abundance as well. That it comes to its shearers, and the shearers take off huge amounts of wool. And the shearer, the owner, the shepherd looks at that sheep and smiles and says, good job, sheep. Good job. You've produced greatly. For a sheep to live the abundant life. Because you see, you've got to put it in the, the, in the situation, right? I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. He's still talking about sheep. Contentment and production. But before we make that transference then to us, we, we've got to make sure that we do not miss the fact that Jesus in this statement said, I came that they may have life. Life. And then he describes the life as abundant life. In John chapter 10, those sheep have life because of the shepherd. It is the shepherd who is guarding their life. It is the shepherd who is protecting their life. I came that they may have life. There is no life. There is no abundant living apart from the good shepherd. Let me make it plain. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no contentment. Apart from Jesus Christ, you cannot ever truly live. Real life is lived only in and through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. No other way. Christ. That's what we need to proclaim. That's what the other sheep who are not of this flock need to hear. You need Christ. But what does it mean when Jesus says, here in this verse, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What does Jesus mean by that for you and I? Because we are the sheep of his pasture. We are those that he has called. We are those that, that have followed Christ. We are those for whom Jesus Christ has laid down his life. What does it mean that you and I have abundant life? We have life in Christ, but what does it mean to have abundant life in Christ? And I would submit to you it's no different than it is for the sheep. That to have an abundant life in Christ means this, that we will be content. 
It's interesting that in, in the Latin, the, the root word from where abundant comes from means to overflow. My cup overflows. Right? Psalm 23. I don't just have a full cup, I have an overflowing cup. That, that's the Latin way of explaining the idea of abundant. I have life that is abundant. It is overflowing. In the Greek, it carries with it more the idea to have a surplus, to have remainders. It, it's the same idea that when Jesus had multiplied the bread and fish on those two occasions and they have the leftovers, that is a remainder. That is an abundance. He didn't just supply the bare minimum, he provided so that they were all satisfied and they had leftovers. I'm sure some of you, if you were at some sort of family gathering this noon, you understand the term abundance because there were leftovers. There's probably leftover ham, there was probably leftover buns, there were leftover salad, there were leftover vegetables. Whatever it was you had, there, there were leftovers. You had enough, so much so that you went, oh, I'm full, I can't eat another bite, yet there were more bites available. That is the life that Jesus is speaking about. I give you life, but I give you an abundant life one that is overflowing, one that has a surplus, one that has more than what you actually need to live life from day to day. Jesus doesn't give us the bare minimum life. He doesn't call us to the miserly life. Jesus didn't come so that we can just eke out our Christian existence. He came so that we would have life and that life would be an abundant life, overflowing, more than was needed, with surpluses to go around. And when you're done with that meal, and you're so full, I'm not lacking anything. Everything I needed was there. That's the life that Christ says he became the good shepherd to provide. A life that says, I'm full. I'm satisfied. I am content. I have no want. We could probably go on for several weeks at this point with the various ways in which we are given the abundant life through the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. I just want to highlight five tonight. First of all, one of the abundances that we are given, it comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. That, to me, is an abundant life. Not one charge, not one charge will ever be leveled 
against me or against you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Not one note of condemnation will ever come forth from the lips of God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit on the day of judgment. To those who are in Christ, there is the abundance of mercy and grace. He doesn't just give us enough grace to eat by with. The grace of the Good Shepherd is abundant. It's overflowing. I can live pretty contented, not wanting Christian life, knowing that there is no condemnation. Secondly, I am promised that this good shepherd is never going to forsake me. He's never going to leave for a better gig. He's never going to stop being the good shepherd because he needs to retire. He will always be the good shepherd. He will continue to be the good shepherd. And I as a sheep can live pretty contented not being in want, knowing that my shepherd is always there. Listen to how this begins. Go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy 31, Moses' sort of day of retirement, Joshua's taking over. 31 verse 6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Go to Psalm 94. Verse 14. Psalm 94, 14. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. And when Jesus departs from this earth, Matthew chapter 28, he promises to his disciples, I will not forsake you. I will not leave you. I am always with you. Always. There's not one moment of my life or your life that we shall ever face that awful day of Christ's hell. Not one. Not one moment. Not one moment will the Father ever turn his face away from us. 
Not one moment. Not in our hardest, toughest, darkest day. In fact, he'll probably be closer to us at that moment than we realize. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Pretty content. Knowing that the Lord God himself is always, always with me. Third, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'll start reading at verse 2. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit of God dwells, lives, within you and I. It's not that he's just close. It's not that he's just near. The Spirit of God dwells right within you and I. He lives here. God's Spirit. Think of that power. Think of that strength. Think of that holiness. That's living, dwelling right within our soul. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now think of that. Glory fills the abundant life of one of Christ's people. 
glory. We've talked about that in the past several weeks. We're dealing with the transfiguration, right? In Mark chapter 9, the glory of Christ. Glory fills. See, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? Because I have an abundance. I have the abundant life. What is the abundant life? Glory filling my life. There's no room for anything else to come in. The cup is already overflowing with glory. This is the abundant life that Christ lays down his life, that Christ picks his life up again to give to you and I. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 3, I am coming again to take you to be with me. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, can't figure out what well, he, he's, he's caught between staying here or being with Christ for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. It's not only that I have no want here and now, but that's not temporary. That's eternal. Because of the good shepherd. Because he came to give you and I life. Abundant life is what Christ came. But there were two things, were there not, about sheep. If you're living in the abundant life, it's not only the contentment, it's also the production. The abundant life of the sheep is not just that which fills. The abundant life of the sheep overflows. See, so the question is, what's overflowing out of our lives? What is it? Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that we are the people of God. We belong to him. We are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. Why? Why? That we may declare the glory of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That we might declare his praises. That we might announce to the world that which the good shepherd has given to us. Life. Abundant life. This is our proclamation to the world. Declaring not that which we have done, but that which the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have filled our lives with. Not worrying about every little thing that comes around. Not wondering, is my 401k going to go up for today or down tomorrow? What's it going to do? Am I going to lose a ton of money? Will it be there when I retire? What's going to happen? Forever and ever and ever, I have been given the abundant life. 
just think, if you came along to some investment, to some investment that was absolutely triple, quadrupled, more so guaranteed, and you were beginning to reap the benefits of this windfall, and, and this investment just kept bringing in, bringing in, bringing in, and it wasn't going to stop. It just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. And there is no end to this. Would you not be telling people, you should find out what I just discovered. You should find out the investment I just got. Man, this is a great thing. And it's available to everyone. It's available to everyone. There it is. Available to everyone who repents. It's available to everyone who confesses Christ. And this abundant life is never going to run out to declare his praise, to declare his glory. But the productive, abundant believer not only declares the praise of the Good Shepherd, he also produces wool. Turn to with me to one final passage tonight. It's the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Now remember where we are in John 10. Why did the good shepherd come? The good shepherd came so that we might have life and have it abundantly. The question to ask in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is, why has the good shepherd given me life? And why has the good shepherd given me an abundant life? Why did he give that? Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? Why have I been created in Christ Jesus? Why have I been given life? Why have I been given abundant life? Why? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. What are those good works? Well, we could say all that God has commanded us in his word. Come back next Wednesday. We're going to start uncovering. What are these good works that I as this abundant life Sheep. I'm supposed to be exemplifying in this world. How, how, how am I supposed to be living out this abundant life of good works in this world? What does Christ call me to? But for tonight, 
tonight, all we can say is, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Amen? Amen. Father, this is what Christ came to do. Give us life. Give us the abundant life. To have that life overflowing. But Father, oftentimes, our sin, our doubt, gets in the way. Oftentimes, our laziness Oftentimes, our failure to declare your praises, oftentimes, our failure to live the life of good works out of gratitude to the abundant life you've given sometimes makes it hard to see. That's not a failure in the work of the Good Shepherd, because in you we shall find no want the failure in us. And so we come again confessing, Father, that we are sinners. Confessing we've murmured, we've complained like the Israelites of old. Confessing that sometimes we've been pretty dumb sheep. We've wandered away from the source of abundant life. We've wandered away from the good shepherd. And we wonder why life is so miserable. We wonder why there seems to be no abundance comes back to our sin, not your failure. So, Father, turn us again. Seek us out. Seek us out early when we go astray. Father, thank you for being that good shepherd who, one, who when we wander, seeks his lost one. May we then, Father, may we truly experience in this coming week abundant living for your glory, for your praise. In Christ's name, God's people say, amen.